0: Welcome to the Breaking to Startups podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds who broke into tech. As you know, the goal of the podcast is to show you that from the outside, our guests might come off as successful, quote-unquote, techies. However, that couldn't be further from the truth. Many of them had to overcome significant challenges and acquire the needed tech skills by turning their perceived disadvantages into advantages. On today's episode, we sit down with Zach Otero who is a great example of that. Zach started his career in tech as a Salesforce admin, making close to six figures as his first tech job. However, what many people don't know about him is at age 16, he started working at McDonald's, then he worked at a popcorn factory, a grocery warehouse, a meatpacking factory that was 400 feet underground before he broke into tech. We started out this episode talking about what Salesforce, the company, does. Then we chat about what changes in the manufacturing world made Zach realize that if he wanted to continue to provide for his family, he needed to pursue a career in tech. And finally, towards the end, we talk about how you, our listener, can learn how to become a Salesforce admin if you decide to follow in Zach's path. Also, don't forget that we've put together a resources page on our website where you can get access to free courses and learn JavaScript by taking Hack Reactor's five-week structured study program. Or you can get discounts like $250 off if you decide to apply to programs like App Academy, GrowthX, and many more. As you know, we're always looking out for our community members. So go to breakingintostarups.com forward slash resources and check them out. So without further ado, let's break in.
1: Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, yo, yo. This is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timo Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today?
0: Yeah. So today, uh, it's actually a Monday morning. We always listen to our community. People want to know about jobs, not just in San Francisco, but all over the country or all over the world. And like we always say, tech is not just an industry. Every industry is being disrupted by tech. So we wanted to bring you a story that was a little bit different than the traditional sales or engineering or product role of guests that we've interviewed in San Francisco. So with that said, Ruben, can you please introduce the guests?
1: Yeah, Timor, we're here with Zach Otero, who is one of the few people in Springfield, Missouri, that was able to not just work in the manufacturing fields, but he also was able to become a Salesforce administrator and work in tech. He's an amazing human being who is a family man and is very familiar with his environment. And he's going to talk to you not just about how he got into this role, but he's also going to talk about what Salesforce actually is. The way he learned through books before the online platform called Trailhead came out. And we're really excited to speak with them. And before going into that, let's just say, welcome, Zach.
2: Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. No problem, man.
1: Thank you for joining us. And and shout out to Sarah and Molly for setting it all up. So before we begin, Zach, can you tell us a little bit more about what Salesforce is?
2: Well, Salesforce is a global leader in CRM, cloud based enterprise CRM software. And the, what is uh, CRM
0: for people who are listening?
2: CRM is Customer Relationship Management software, and it's uh, cloud-based. They, If you're not familiar with uh, the concept of Customer Relationship Management monitoring software, the easiest way that I like to explain to people is if you call up AT&T or you call up Citibank for your credit card, they look up your... You give them your account number on the phone. They look up your record in their system. That system is Customer Relationship That's a CRM system. Yeah. So well, they're keeping to- track of... Yeah. They're keeping track of all of those. They know what kind of phone you have. They know how much data you've got. They know all that stuff about you because they have that in the system, quote unquote, air quotes, you know, like, so that's what they're keeping track of you as their customer in that relationship. So that's the easiest way that I uh, explain it to people.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm always fascinated whenever I go to the dentist and I haven't seen him in four years and he still knows exactly, you know, what we talked about the last time. That's usually tracked in a CRM, right? Exactly, exactly. Got it. it. Okay. And so, you know, Salesforce did not become a $10 billion company overnight. You guys did something that's innovative and you guys created something called software as a service. For the people that don't know, you know, that's called SaaS. And can you break that down for us?
2: Yeah, absolutely happy to. Software as a service changed how software is delivered and how it's consumed by or how it's used by the consumer. So if you think back 20 years ago, 25 years ago, even say let's let's go way back to Windows 95. Windows or traditional software had to be manufactured and distributed through traditional methods. So anytime Windows, something everybody can relate to by way of example, Windows had to be distributed on a CD-ROM. In you know in the old school, and every time you had you wanted to update, it, you had to go get that physical copy from the store, off the store shelf, buy it, bring it home, and install it. With the advancements in broadband, and in internet speeds, and computing power, and just the general progress of technology, the industry was able to start offering software through the internet. So actually interface with large scale software through the internet. And most people are familiar with cloud software because that and then don't even realize things like Google Hangouts, things like Google Drive, all the Google has a whole suite of free cloud software that you can use. So think of like if you ever used a GoToWebinar or anything like that, then that's that's cloud software. You know, you don't actually have to install that. From a from a physical resource or install it on your machine to to run just runs in your web browser. Yeah. It's a similar concept, but cutting down on the being able to cut out the distribution cost and manufacturing costs associated with producing software allowed a lot of new players in the game to to start focusing on innovation yeah. and not being bogged down with the, with just the, the sheer overhead of creating and distributing software on a large scale. Yeah. So being able to, to interface online with, with software is was really the, the, the key and that's what, what software as a service really is. So it's, yeah. this, it's nothing that you install on your machine. It's remotely accessed and remotely uh, used.
1: Yeah. And it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon because some people are, you know, saying that software as a service or, it's going to like change every industry. Like, you know, you have back in the day, you have to buy a car, you know, and now people are developing driverless cars. And some people are going to say, instead of buying a car in the future, you could just rent them or pay a monthly fee and things like that. And so it's interesting, you know, how you all are at the forefront of a lot of these changes in these, these industries. And so we didn't mention this in the beginning of the intro, but you have an interesting background from a education perspective. Where did you go to school?
2: <laughs> well, I was actually, I didn't, I was uh, homeschooled. The entire way through school, I never went to public school a day in my life. Actually, I went through uh, all the way up till I was 16, and I technically dropped out. I said you dropped out; I just quit going, doing school. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I was anxious to make money. I started my first job the day after my 16th birthday. My parents were really mad about that, <laughs> but I just basically stopped going. But yeah, I never went to traditional school ever. Actually, but do you, want-
0: Zach, Zach, and uh, you mentioned that you live in uh, Springfield, Missouri. For some people who just grew up on the East Coast or West Coast, can you also add some uh, kind of? Can you paint a picture of what uh, Springfield is like? Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, Springfield's a nice, uh, a nice city. We're halfway between St. Louis and Tulsa, Oklahoma, so it's southern, uh, southern portion of Missouri. Um, it's largely, largely agricultural around uh, outside the city. The city itself is about a quarter million people, so we have a decent sized metro area. And we have it's not like we're out in the weeds or anything, but if you get outside, outside the city, it turns into cornfields and.
0: Uh, cow pasture pretty quickly
1: (laughs) yeah so
0: oh yeah sorry Uh, so zach what type of uh, jobs would you say um, are available in that area
2: largely here in the midwest it's uh, manufacturing agricultural factories warehouses a lot of uh, logistics trucking is obviously a, a big industry I'm not strictly re- reserved here, but we're the space in between the coasts where they need to ship things. So <laughs> so that's uh, a lot of traffic there. But yeah, largely manufacturing and agriculture. Okay. Got it, and, got it.
1: Yeah. Would you say that the... So there's a lot of people that have learned a lot through the school of life like you have because you're definitely one of the most intelligent people that we've met. But would you also say that like... What would you say is the percentage of people that you know went to college if you were able to estimate uh, from your peer group?
2: Uh, from my peer group? probably probably 50 50 okay I'm um, just off the top of my head yeah I wouldn't say it's lower than that for sure I have some friends that have gone on to be engineers and are just absolutely brilliant and then I have some other friends that never went to uh, that were similar to me that I went to college or uh, maybe from non-traditional backgrounds education wise
1: yeah well, I, th- I think that's really important to point out because we like you said like we've met engineers that have gone to school and that have not gone to school and now that there's ways to you know learn things that aren't in the traditional, you know, four walls of a building. You know, people are able to develop skills that are for roles that you know didn't exist before. You know, now that things like software as a service has been developed, and even if you did go to college, you wouldn't be able to do what you're doing today. Is that accurate?
2: Absolutely. That's one of the things that uh, that drove this transformation in my career was just being able to, or dedicating myself to being a continuous learner, a lifelong learner. Concept is. You can't just be educated once and expect it to last your whole lifetime anymore. I mean, during—I mean, you think back to maybe the industrial revolution, you may be able to uh, to do something like that, but that's those. I think those days are really over. Um, I think if you're limiting yourself to basing your career off of what you only what you learned in college, then you're just truncating your abilities.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and Zach, you actually bring up a good point about being a life learner because back in the day, a lot of people they would just grow up. Some of them followed in their father's footsteps, and they kind of had the job stability that if your dad was a shoemaker, then you just uh, followed in their path. Uh, Nowadays, though, you have to be more agile. You have to adapt to the environment. A lot of the jobs that existed before, they're slowly being changed and disrupted by tech. So can you talk a little bit about the types of jobs that you've uh, done after high school and how those industries are changing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, yeah, I come from blue collar background. All my family are blue collar, uh, salt of the earth people. <laughs> they uh, work manufacturing, warehouse, these different these different things. A lot of agriculture, uh, a lot of farmers. <laughs> so, but uh, when I got out of, uh, I started working when I was like when I was sixteen. I started at McDonald's. <laughs> it was about as humble as about as humble a beginning as you can as you can get. But. Eventually I started, I worked like I worked at a popcorn factory for a little while. That was interesting. I worked at a, uh, a grocery warehouse. I worked for quite a while in a meatpacking plant. The only reason I continued on that path was because that's where I had experience and my, I had to find jobs that would, I could get based on the experience that I had. So it was kind of the vein that I fell into and continued in just because I had some resume experience there. Yeah. But yeah, there, I mean, those industries are obviously being disrupted as well. The, uh, some of the manufacturing software that's out there for monitoring manufacturing uh, equipment is just fascinating. It makes sense. I do have kind of a background in there. I kind of geek out on it sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll go uh, go check the uh, check out what's off, what's coming up in the, uh, the Internet of Things cloud, and then uh, programmable logic controllers and things like that 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 control those uh, those large manufacturing machines is it's, it's kind of cool. So, yeah. but yeah, everything's nothing's really off the table now with a lot of the yeah, with the scale that technology is getting to yeah everything is everything is in the past
0: <laughs> yeah. and for our listeners can you paint the picture of the manufacturing plant the meat manufacturing plant where you used to work at
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely it's kind of it's unique here in Missouri we're kind of known as unofficially as the cave state we have a lot of natural caves we also have a lot of man-made caves we dig uh, we dig our own caves for uh, dig out limestone and dig out uh, we had a lot of strip mining back in the in the turn of the century and things like that but there was uh, there's a lot of man made caves. Well, the meat plant manufacturing plant that I worked at was actually in a man made cave. It was a couple hundred feet underground. Wow. So every day I would go to work, I had to go down. Uh, I actually could have to get on the elevator. It wasn't like a coal mine. I could actually drive down to where I uh, to where I worked, but it was still totally cut off from the outside world. And they did that because it was a um, controlled environment. It stayed about 50, 60 degrees year round. So they didn't have to, in the 110 degree heat of the summer, they didn't have to pay. To maintain a controlled environment, to help yeah. to keep costs regulated. So, so
0: there's no windows, obviously. So, how long did you spend underground each day?
2: About ten hours. Wow. wow I was well, I was pulling ten hour days at that point, six to four. Yeah, six a.m. to four p.m. So, the uh, yeah, a long day without sunlight for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you get used to it. It's just like being in a basement, but it's uh, yeah. After a little while, it kind of gets it just gets to be normal. <laughs> yeah.
1: And for the people that aren't familiar with working with their hands, can you talk a little bit about the skills that you developed from working in manufacturing, and you know any other you know qualitative or quantitative skills that you developed while you were you know working ten hours a day that people may not realize.
2: Oh, absolutely! I mean, manufacturing is physical work, um, so it's a lot of moving around, a lot of uh, small scale logistics, what's going where and when, and that kind of thing. I was a machine operator. I uh, ran a giant deli meat slicer. You think about the the slicer at the deli counter at the grocery. Turn that into about the size of a car, and uh, and uh, that's that's what I operated. But yeah, I get processed twenty thousand pounds of meat in a day. Wow. So and most of that I had to lift and put into the machine, and then what uh, <laughs> one or two at a time, and then process it, and then do uh, do a couple more. That machine cycled about every ninety seconds, so processing about yeah, so about forty to fifty pounds of meat every every minute. Yeah, so.
1: so to have like an efficient process, you probably had to be really good at management, probably right? Could you talk? a little bit. Yeah, about exactly.
2: Management. And that was what that was what uh, that was one of the things I kind of picked up on was uh, with, in the, with the variety of jobs that I had. That was one of the the realizations that helped spark the the transformation was I could be good at, at a variety of things. Was that I could I essentially convinced myself I could be good at anything. Yeah, if you give me a little bit of time to learn it and understand the process of what's needed and understand the outcome yeah. or uh, that's needed or that's required, then I could learn that process and learn how to do that in the most efficient way.
1: Yeah. No, but, no. All right. So for the people that, you know, may not realize it, what you just wrote down is, it sounds like to me, I remember when I first read your story, that was actually one of your perceived advantages. It's like, even though, you know, you've been in factories your whole life, you might've started off doing, you know, individual contributor jobs, but then you could step back and see how the entire process works. And, you know, as a Salesforce administrator and a sales operations guy, that type of stuff is very important because a lot of times salespeople that are selling and talking to customers all day don't realize how it all comes together. And you are developing a lot of these skills that kind of make you, you know, even stronger at what you're doing today. Would you say that's accurate or, you know, what other perceived advantages would you say that you had?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that that taught me to kind of understand process as a whole. And you are right. It's a, a decent chunk of being a, a Salesforce administrator is doing kind of business analysis. How, how what does the company need? What are the goals that we're not meeting? What how can we better improve this process? How can we optimize? And with a background in in manufacturing, it kind of taught you me how to recognize those markers, those indicators. Like we're standing on the production line all day. I can tell you, you know. The three things you need to do if you want to improve the output, or if you want to, you know, how, how what do we need to do to make things better? I can tell you that just by sheer observation. But yeah. then, at a larger scale, if you think of uh, the process of and the goals of the company, and being able to map that to a tool and to be able to automate processes and to better, yeah, you know, just better help the business run more efficiently than. Yeah, it's similar. It's similar thought process. So I'd say that's absolutely accurate.
0: Yeah. yeah. And uh, have you heard about Salesforce? Kind of while you were um, in this job, has Salesforce even came up on your radar? Like, how did you discover that this is even even a role and a profitable job?
2: Yeah. I See, I kind of had a gift from the gift from the clouds. <laughs> I have a, a cousin that's a, a developer. That he actually comes from a similar background that I do. He was homeschooled himself. He uh, didn't have any college experience. And he got into, he had the knack for develop, he had the head for code, and he pursued that and served him really well. He got into, he got exposed to Salesforce through that because it's obviously a, a big skill set in the development world as well. And then he actually told me through just through family channels, we were just talking about, uh, about what we were doing, and he told me about Salesforce. And I very vividly remember, I'll probably never forget now, about an hour long conversation that we had on the phone one night that he walked me through what it was how people use it, and that you can get into it without any background. And that was just a really, a really important thing. Like, without any prerequisites, you didn't have to first have a, a bachelor's degree in, in IT or in you know in software or anything like that. You could just get into this without any background in it. Yeah. And that there was a lot of materials out there on the open web to help you learn it for free. Awesome. Because stepping back one step, my wife and I were actually married in 2008 in the middle of the recession. Wow. and manufacturing jobs. I was lucky to have, you know, at that we were lucky to have manufacturing jobs. We were lucky to have jobs at all. So I uh, I was always kind of thinking about going back to school or, you know, you, people without college, you always kind of have that ever-present self-doubt. Should I have gone back to college? Should I go back now? Should I, you know, go to a tech school and get a specialized, you know, skill set or try to find a, a craftsman, apprenticeship or, or whatever the case is. You always want to be prepared to pr- provide for your family. Well, this information kind of came to me that this skill set was a in demand in high demand. It was well compensated and it was something that I could, I could start learning for free. Yeah. And that put the prospect of a lost investment only on my time. So if I, if I invested the time to learn it, then for some reason it didn't pan out then all I was, I was out was my time. I didn't, I didn't have student loans hanging over my head that I was responsible for and still couldn't get a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I know, I know a lot of people in that situation too. That was a uh, that was a big contributor to that decision as well. Because I know, I'm sure we all know people that have degrees that they don't use in their current position. Yeah, yeah.
1: We're definitely going to talk about compensation and things like that. But I love that you actually spend time to talk to your cousin and spend time with your family. A lot of people don't, you know, like a lot of people. Don't take time to step back and reflect and just and talk to people about what they're doing. And it sounds like, you know, you, you value those types of things. And, you know, when you spoke with your peers and your friends, you discovered a new opportunity, which was cool. And so, you know, once you just realized that this was a role that fit your background and you were excited about it, you know, Trailhead didn't exist. So what did you do to start learning to go into this, this direction?
2: Well, back then, before Trailhead was online and was an available resource, then there was kind of a disparate assortment of things you could study online. They, there was Salesforce provided a lot of help and training, a lot of very detailed help and training. They had uh, some ebooks online. And then there was also a lot of uh, the community was already existed and was very active. And so there was independent blogs. There was a lot of it, podcasts that were really valuable to me. And there was a lot of just YouTube videos, honestly. How tos and basic concepts, and there was also a lot of information on YouTube from the conference, from the Dreamforce conference that Salesforce puts on every year. They put tons and tons of that content on YouTube after post conference. So I referenced that a ton. So you were, you were listening to podcasts in two thousand eight? Not two thousand. Not two thousand eight. I started this about two thousand twelve. Okay, two thousand. So or I take that back. Let me what say, are
0: some
2: I started of these this. In, <laughs> I. Uh, I'm trying to get the dates to start, straight in my head. I think I started this in early 2014. Yeah. Yep. So, sorry, I don't sorry. want to get the, the timeline wrong. All,
1: all good. Breaking the Sharps didn't exist back then. So, what, what did you listen <laughs> to at that time?
2: There was an independent podcast at that time called the Button Click Admin, which was run by some of the community of Salesforce. They've since kind of been merged in with Salesforce and offered a large scale from Salesforce Corporate, which is a phenomenal resource. They have just fantastic content. They highlight a lot of really great individuals from a variety of uh, of backgrounds, same as myself. I was actually lucky enough to be on that a couple of years ago. That was a great experience. And then...
1: We'll link to it in the show notes too.
0: Yeah. And Zach, it sounds like at this point in time, you have your day job, right? And on the side, you're learning about Salesforce. You're listening to YouTube videos. And I think a lot of our listeners probably will find themselves in a similar position where they might have heard about tech, they might have heard about a role that they're interested in, but they're still unsure on like how to come up with a roadmap to actually transition into that desired role. So what did you end up doing to go from your manufacturing job into becoming a Salesforce admin? What was that roadmap like?
2: Well, it was, um, it was complicated. There is It's always a question of the hours in the day. And at that point, I was working 60 hours a week. I was working 10 hours a day, every day, but Sunday. So there wasn't a lot of spare time. So what I opted to do was actually study while I was at work, which is, I mean, it's a risk. (laughs) But my job, since it was so physically based, I I was able to, for better or for worse, I snuck headphones in into the factory, which is, you're not supposed to do that, but you know... (laughs) You, gotta hustle, so. yeah. you got to hustle. So yeah, so I turned to break some rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to disrupt, right? Exactly. So I, uh, I was able to kind of turn those brain off hours in the day into like brain on hours. So I could actually start learning while I was working because a lot of the work was very repetitive, not listed, not very focused, but I was able to kind of utilize that time for my benefit.
1: I love yeah. that you emphasize not just learning while you're working but it makes me think about like we we have a lot of conversations with people that are like Uber drivers for example that like might have a commute or just anybody that might work three jobs but doesn't have time to you know read during the day but they might be able to travel from one place to another and during that time of travel you can actually listen to things or watch things that can help you learn along the way.
0: Yeah. And actually your story reminded me of myself when I was uh, learning how to code cuz even though I was working a desk job and I was in finance, there were definitely parts of the day when I was just kind of doing, like I don't know, mundane tasks. And at that point, I would just put on headphones and find a podcast that I was interested in about tech or about coding and just tune out for a few hours. And if you could do that consistently like day after day, then you're actually learning a lot and you're listening to a lot of interesting people and you're getting a lot of advice. So I definitely recommend uh, finding opportunities to integrate podcasting and or just, I don't know, consuming Reading. information through audio, If you even if you have a day job. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's, yeah, commute's a fantastic example because, I mean, everybody has a commute of something typically. I mean, unless you're lucky enough to have a remote position, then most everybody has to have some kind of commute. So yeah, and those are, I mean, time is valuable. Time is money, right? Time is everything. So You have to find those hours in your day and be able to squeeze the clock and get what you need out of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So how does one get started with Salesforce? So it's an online tool. Are there any like test environments people could play around with? Or how do you get started with actually building something in Salesforce?
2: So that's where Trailhead really kind of changed the game. Back when I started, they had Salesforce offered developer environments for free that you could go out and register for and give you a few megabytes worth of storage space and kind of the, uh, the bare bones, and you can kind of get in and at least look around. And that was for... Uh, uh, those were free. And that was the first thing I actually... That was my first exposure to Salesforce. Now, Trailhead actually does something very similar. They give you a Trailhead playground. Um, it's not necessarily good for development, but it's for building and testing along with your education path. It's one of the really unique things that Trailhead offers is they'll walk you through the goal for that specific module is to build XYZ. Component or to build XYZ app to accomplish this goal, and then you're encouraged to go into your playground and build that, and it'll actually walk you through how to do it. And then when it's done, it will actually check your work for you. It's like checking your test score. It'll go and see if you built it the way that it, it, it instructed you to. So it's really and kind of acts as your instructor and your test grade.
0: <laughs> and for our listeners, can you tell us more about like what is Trailhead had? I know you mentioned that it. It's like an environment that teaches you the skills. But is it run by Salesforce? Is it free? How does one sign up? Can you provide more information around that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Trailhead
2: is offered from Salesforce uh, free of charge. It has two hundred and fifty plus modules based on all on a wide variety of uh, of areas of the tool. And there's also other things um, listed on Trailhead as well. General introductions to things like public speaking or GitHub or there's some other things that are commonly associated with cloud technology or technology in general. There's also uh, some things about the Salesforce culture and stuff like that. But it's majority, the vast majority is based around Salesforce features and functionality, and that's how most people learn it now. And it's yeah, it's just Trailhead.salesforce.com, and you go register for a free account, and you can get started
0: learning right out of the gate. When someone learns like these modules, does that actually translate into a real job? Like if I went if I've never done Salesforce before and I just went online and spent the next few months just studying and going through all these modules and getting certified, does that actually translate into a job? Or there's other things that you need to do to get a, to become an admin?
2: It can. It really can. Um, I'm living proof that it can. Actually, um, there's the second component to actually transferring into a job as a Salesforce professional is the certification. Trailhead isn't within its, in and of itself, a certification quote uh, per se. But Salesforce does offer a wide variety of certifications on different areas of their platform. But the skills that you learn through Trailhead are what's required to become certified. So if you go and say, "I'm actually, that's that's your goal. I want to be a certified Salesforce admin. Trailhead is where you're going to learn those things that are going to be on that exam that you take to become certified.
1: Yeah. And so for the people that are listening, you know, we have people that don't just listen in the U.S. We have like over people, over fifty countries paying attention. Is this is this just a U.S. thing, or, or is this Trailhead global?
2: No, Trailhead's definitely global. It's available, I believe, in six languages currently. It's uh, accessible all over the world, so you can get Salesforce being a global product, and the the need for support is global as well. So, yeah, absolutely, you can get in get online anywhere and uh, start learning.
1: Yeah, and it's in multiple languages and all that. That's, that's pretty cool. And so. It's, it's an interesting role you know Salesforce administrator role is an interesting role that it didn't exist before Salesforce. I mean I think more opportunities like that are going to present itself in the future, but since we're talking about this one specifically, can you give us a sense of you know, what people can expect to make in these types of roles, you know the trajectory and then we'll talk about what you do on a day-to-day
2: basis? Yeah, sure thing. I believe currently the international average for uh, Salesforce administration is, hovers right around six figure mark between hundred to 110,000, give or take, I may be, I mean, that's obviously kind of a subjective it's estimate, yeah. Subject, yeah. It's an estimate. It's estimation. So, but the, uh, yeah, the demand is global and that keeps the, it keeps the, uh, it keeps the take, average you high. Could
1: take, you could take care of your family
2: with that. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And that was a big, that was a big motivator in my decision. That was really what, uh, I mean, that's what drives my, that's what drives most of my decisions is my family. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so what does the kind of like, basic career trajectory look like? I know it could be, it could go into like 20 different directions, but just kind of like, what's the basic hierarchy? And then kind of like, what do you do on a day-to-day basis?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's generally accepted and understood that a Salesforce administrator is the entry level into Salesforce professional ecosystem. Up from there, you can go in a variety of directions. They offer certifications on specialization consulting on their different clouds. They have clouds for service for sales, for marketing, for uh, different things. They also have popular certifications for uh, development, a very in-demand skill. Um, you guys are aware that everybody... I mean, coding is really integral to the growth of technology and uh, all this disruption that we keep talking about. Every, somebody has to code it all. <laughs> so, But admin is... As a Salesforce administrator, there isn't really a lot of code involved with that certification. So. As an entry level, it's all what we what we call declarative. It's all button click configuration. So if you're apprehensive about if someone's apprehensive about I don't want to get into technology, I don't I don't have the head to write code. There are other things that are available Salesforce administration specifically that doesn't necessarily have that kind of overhead where you're required to learn code. As Far as the day to day, yeah, you have uh, a lot of friends in the Salesforce community that we've kind of compared these uh, these stories before, and there's a wide variety. <laughs> Of uh, of responsibilities that every admin has, but there's supporting your users is really key in broad terms. So, if you're supporting a traditional sales team, then how do you make the sales team sell better? If you're supporting a service team, then how do you help them service customers better? So, part of it is again, going back to kind of the business analysis role, you think about how you could do that, but then there's also just the general maintenance and overhead of the tool itself. So things like onboarding, training new users. So if you have new salesmen come on to your sales team, you have to get them up to speed on how to
0: use the tool that they're going to
2: use. So that's a pretty, so that's a pretty common can you, uh, requirement.
0: Can you go a little bit deeper into kind of your relationship with your client or the rest of your team? So it sounds like I know in the pre-chat you mentioned that you actually go in into the office in Springfield, but then does your sales team that you support could they be based somewhere on the? In a different state, and then do you guys have regular discussions about what they're trying to do, and then you go and implement it on the Salesforce side? Can you just explain that whole process?
2: Yeah, sure thing. It's, I actually landed out pretty well there. <laughs> yeah, I support. Um, I don't actually support a traditional sales team. but I'm, uh, I actually support marketers. So we're uh, marketing to, uh, to to prospects and trying to give our salespeople better information. So that's uh, just my unique role that I got into here. But yeah, the uh, I support users all over the U.S., so I have yeah, people in different time zones and different different sit locales, for sure. But yeah, we always a big part of my day is coordinating those current projects, upcoming projects, what they're, what works now, what can we improve, what are our big picture goals, you know, what's the flow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, can you
0: give an example of a project that you may have worked on recently?
2: Yeah, sure. We're working currently to better track our opportunity fulfillment. So. If we have an open opportunity with a company, we're trying to better capture that data so we can analyze it if it's lost or analyze it if it's won, so we can start to establish trends. These are the the valuable information that a CRM system holds. Is that you start to build almost a persona, a, a kind of a profile of what your ideal customer looks like or what your what a traditional um, what a common path to purchase is. So that's been a big project here that I worked on recently is trying to analyze the customer so experience kind of
0: pathway. Correct me if I'm wrong, but basically you work together with the marketing team, or with your uh, with people who are going to be using Salesforce to identify data you want to track, and then how that's going to help the sales team improve their performance, right? And then you go into Salesforce and you actually implement that tracking, and then you could look at dashboards and analyze that performance and look for trends, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And he's he's zoomed by a lot of concepts. Uh, you know, you talked about ideal customer <laughs> profile. You talked about you know, leads that turn into opportunities, qualified leads that are, you know, open or won and close won or lost and things like that. And so it sounds like you focus more on the marketing side of things. And it's something that we haven't touched on as much. We have gone deep on the sales side of things. I mean, so just to get a better sense of things, when you're working with the marketing team and they're working on generating the leads, are you the one that's executing or helping to execute nurturing campaign or the content marketing strategy, so that you can warm those leads
2: up. Um, I don't necessarily coordinate on the marketing strategy or on content or anything like that. I uh, mine's basically around the execution of the tool. Uh-huh. So they come up with the concept, and I try to implement that into the tool. So and help okay. be, uh, better, either better automate or provide the best information at the right time to those people as they need it. So got
1: it. So to Arthur's point, as they're executing on it. You're tracking the effectiveness of all their different campaigns.
0: Yeah, that's right and making it better. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And actually yeah. the area we didn't cover was how you actually got your first Salesforce job. So tell us kind of take us back a little bit and tell us so once you completed like the tutorials and the training courses, how did you actually forlay that into your first admin job?
2: Well some of the the best advice I got early on was to get connected with the Salesforce community because it is so supportive and so uh, such a really integral part of being a Salesforce professional. And so I got connected with my local user group here. I was lucky enough to have a small user group that met regularly here in my city. I actually burned up all of my vacation days from my manufacturing job going to their user group because they would meet for lunch or meet during the day. And I'm operating the machine. I don't, I can't just, you know, (laughs) jump off for a couple hours and come back. So I actually burned up my, my personal time from the factory going and I'd go home, throw on the only suit that I own and go to user group and network. And that's how I met my future boss, actually. Wow. So I found out or I put my name out there and met, let everybody know I was working towards being certified. And this was really something I was trying to get accomplished. And when a job came available, then somebody reached out to me directly and I was able to uh, able to capitalize on it.
1: So you didn't apply online. You met them in person after you had and, the skills. And yeah, initially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. we talk about that a lot because most jobs are offline and come through referral. And it's, it's, it goes to show that you you definitely are a hustler. Um, and so, you know, now that you are, you know, here in this role and you, you know, made this amazing transformation, you know, how are you, you know, what are your plans for the future? Are you evangelizing this role within the Springfield community? Do you feel like, you know, a lot of people are going to pursue these roles or, or what's going on? What do you care about most right now?
2: Uh, well, I... Uh Obviously, continuing the learning, continuing education is, is really important because since there is such a depth of knowledge and a depth of specialization and a depth of opportunity really within Salesforce that I'm always trying to learn to learn more. I'm not really sure on what my next certification is going to be. We'll, uh, we'll see. There's a lot of options. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely I'm trying to pick one and then start working towards that. But yeah, locally, I try... My very best to evangelize and try to get the word out there to people that need it. It's a difficult conversation to have sometimes because the technologically inclined can sometimes grasp the concept more than others. And then there's also just, do you work for Salesforce? Do you work? Who do you work for? What do you do? You know, because there, there's 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 a lot of confusion I find in people's perception around actually what I do on a day to day basis. So because I'll. Uh, yeah, I still run into people that I knew from, I know from previous jobs. And they're like, so what is this the Salesforce thing exactly? <laughs>
0: yeah. And to make it clear so, to the audience, you actually worked for a company that uses Salesforce, right? So you're not actually employed by Salesforce. You're, using, you're working for a company and you know how to use the tool. So that's what you get paid to do, right? Yes,
2: yeah. that's correct. As okay. a Salesforce professional, <laughs> I work yeah. with it's like being certified, like ASC certified to work as a mechanic. It's yeah. uh, I'm certified to work with the product. I'm not actually an employee of the company. <laughs> it's a yeah.
1: very important clarification. But yeah. are you able to to call out the company and like what the company does?
2: I work for BKD CPAs and Advisors. So it's okay. uh, public accounting and advisory advisory services. So.
1: Yeah, we were we nice. were in finance as well. So it's interesting to see you know how you know tech is even affecting that space as well. And I'm definitely going to share this episode with. You know my father's family because he grew up in Blakely, Georgia, which is also a very rural place with a big agriculture base and things like that. So you definitely yeah
0: inspire them. And uh, so on this podcast, we also talk a lot about jobs going away, and we know there's a lot of jobs that are going away due to automation. But there's also people are saying that there's some tech jobs that could also be going away. I think being uh, working with Salesforce is one of those unique roles, though. That support sales team, which usually generates revenue. So this question I ask you for Ruben. So can you just tell us kind of the impact that Salesforce has on a sales team, and how important is it for a team to be using that tool? And do you ever see that tool ever going away?
1: I think that you know Salesforce is definitely you know the default or the go-to CRM for most sales teams, and you can be the best salesperson in the world from initial meetings perspective, but if you aren't good at the follow-up and you aren't tracking where you are in your various stages, you're not going to be able to be as effective as you can be. And then on a management perspective, you know, every coach has a winning playbook. And if you don't know what your team is doing and how they're performing and how they're managing their pipeline, you don't know where the weaknesses are or where the strengths are and how you can actually coach. And so I think that, you know, working with what if you don't have an understanding of how Salesforce works, A lot of times you're not using it in the right way and you're actually building it or you're actually hurting your organization and you don't realize how valuable it is working with someone that's on a Salesforce administrator perspective or Salesforce operations perspective until you actually invest in one and you see how efficient your organization becomes. But a lot of times if you have been operating in the wrong way, there's a lot of pain in undoing all the damage that you did when you tried to figure it out yourself. I mean, there's nothing wrong with trying to figure it out yourself, but if you do it that way, make sure you do it right. So I've definitely been on both sides of the spectrum in organizations where we did not use it effectively, but it is amazing working with someone where you can just kind of sketch out what you want to do. And like magic, they create something kind of like Excel, but for like sales teams with dashboards and reports. So shout out to Zach and all the other Salesforce administrators that have taught themselves this amazing skill.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, with that said, we're going to jump into the lightning round. And this is uh, Zach. I don't know if you listened to our other other episodes, but this is the part where we'll ask you several questions, and we're really looking for brief responses, but filled with any actionable tactics, resources, or strategies that you've used to get to where you are today. So, yeah, Zach. So uh, this question kind of takes us back to the basics, and you've yourself had to re- kind of restart and reset a few times in different careers. So imagine if you were dropped in a new city, you only had hundred dollars. And you were starting from scratch again, and your goal was to break into tech and become a Salesforce admin. So, kind of, what would you do, and how would you spend that $100 to get yourself back in the feed? Oh, it's a loaded question.
2: I mean, if I got my kids, am I like, what am I? I got, I got to buy assume, food for my let's kids. Let's assume
0: first. the kind of food and shelter taken care of, and you have $100, and you're trying to apply to get yourself to become a Salesforce admin. Oh, goodness.
2: Probably buy a suit. I mean, <laughs> You're gonna you're gonna have to network, and mm-hmm. it's uh it's uh, that's part of the gig. It's part of the hustle, and you gotta you've got to be able to you got to be able to look good, and you got to be able to communicate that you're dedicated. And that's whether or not you like it or not. That's that's part of the that's part of the deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: And you, you talked a little bit about family before, and, and ohanas, and Salesforce community, and things like that. Can you unpack that for us? Kind of like the scale of these communities across the world.
2: I'd love to. Salesforce community is one of my favorite things. I. Uh, like I said I owe I owe them a whole lot from that's how I I I broke in so I was able to uh, to get my entry level position into the Salesforce community through it so but yeah there's music groups in most major U.S. cities and internationally as well there's I'd say well into the hundreds globally I'm not sure quite into the thousands but yeah several hundred around the around the world but what uh, the Salesforce community really does is we just We hold each other. What the Salesforce community does is we help each other by openly help providing advice by providing... um, You can go out. I I know I can call any number of probably a dozen people right now and say, I'm working on this. I have a problem. I'm stuck. What, What can I do? And it's just the support system for what you need that you're not alone in doing it. And it really gives you kind of that extra layer of protection it gives you you know that they've got your back and they know that you've got theirs
1: do they have like libraries of like let's say let's say you walk into an organization on, on your first day after you finish trailhead training and you know you're walking into to work with the VP of sales and he or she has their like their idea for the dashboards that they want to build do you all have like a database of like templates for different Dashboards that have used you guys have used for other organizations that you could leverage, or you know, is there kind of like a community like that?
2: Not so much, just because everything is so unique. What you build for one company will very likely be vastly different from something you build for another company, as far as requirements. But I don't, I haven't heard of anything like that existing, just because the, the product is so. Customizable, and every company wants to track and monitor different metrics, and they want to see things differently, and they they just have unique requirements across the board. So there's a standard couple of dashboards that come in with Salesforce out of the box, but they're they're generally understood that are kind of starting points that you're encouraged to build off of and build into your own thing. Yeah,
0: and uh, cool. I guess the next question is about more kind of giving advice. And imagine like if uh, you were 16 again and you're faced with like i guess you dropped out of high school and you're kind of faced with finding work and you mentioned that you've worked at mcdonald's and a few other like factory jobs so if you were giving yourself advice kind of what would it be
2: what advice would i give my 16 year old self that could go on for a while Um, (laughs) it could uh probably probably a four-year degree isn't always isn't always an indicator of success yep yep Mm -hmm. that's probably probably the main thing and the other, and more in, in broader terms, life is a, a long series of the hardest things you'll ever have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> you've just got to be able to, to deal with it. Yeah. percent. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So do, um, this is the next question. So do you have any beliefs that you changed your mind on after you broken into this admin role? Any beliefs around tech or about Salesforce?
1: Now that you've been through this process.
2: It was really revealing to me that I was I didn't know that I could be good at something like this until I really tried. So it was, it was more proving to myself, not necessarily about Salesforce, but it was, yeah, it was more of an internal thing. That I didn't necessarily think I could be good at something as complex as this can be. If you would have told me like at that point in time or five years ago that I would be in this position and dealing with the things that I'm currently tasked with, then I would have said you're crazy because there's no way I'm like, I can't ever understand that. That's over my head. Yeah. Well, you don't. Yeah, you. Uh, yeah, you take it one day at a time. you Learn things. Uh, you don't learn things one one step at a time for sure. Yeah,
0: and let's unpack that a little bit because we talk about the imposter syndrome on this podcast a lot, and especially folks who are not technical and who are looking to acquire technical skills. A lot of the time, they hit this roadblock where they're like, "Is this like? Am I even capable of this?" I, like, and they have a lot of like beliefs about who they are, and for some reason, like for one reason or another they're a little bit sometimes get deterred by the complexity of some of the technical stuff. So how did you overcome that when you were learning how to um, use Salesforce?
2: You have to have a certain amount of... You have to be kind of lucid mm-hmm. and know that you can learn. The only imposter is a person that, that refuses to learn. Mm-hmm. That's what I tell people about imposter syndrome. It's the only imposter is a person who refuses to learn. Mm-hmm. It's like, And if you know that about yourself, that you are capable of learning... Whatever your preferred method, whatever your preferred uh, way of learning is, is irrelevant. Find that and focus on that. But you can learn, and if I don't know the answer right now, I can go find out. Yeah, yeah. like if if there's if I if I hit the, when I hit those roadblocks, I know that someone else has hit that roadblock before. Very likely, I'm doubtful the first person to encounter this problem. And some the answer is out there somewhere. Yeah. And if it's learning a skill set like like Salesforce. There's a lot of people that have had to run into that. so yeah
1: <laughs> yeah are there any specific books outside of like learning how to do Salesforce that you read or anything that you do to balance or that that is, that has kind of like enlightened you or helped you get out of a frustrating situation and what's the biggest piece of advice that you got from that book or books?
2: You know this is gonna sound strange, but the uh, while I was learning Salesforce, I was also listening to audiobooks. Because the same thing, where I have all these hours in the day, that's kind of where I I figured out that I could do it in that space. Because I was listening to audiobooks, or you know, whatever else. I'm like, I might as well be be learning a skill. And I'll tell you what, I'm not good on reading a a book itself. I don't have that. I kind of have a touch of the ADD. You know, I don't have the 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 attention span of reading a book. But I I actually listened to, The Grapes of Wrath. Okay, (laughs) Mm classic. And yeah, John Steinbeck, Uh and it's all about the depression and these terrible things that uh, that people went through just to provide for their family. And the, uh, you know, they had to migrate from Oklahoma to California to pick fruit. And then the jobs weren't there and the car breaks down. It's always one thing after another, after, after another. And it's what I got out of that was really perseverance. Mm -hmm. And you can't, if your goal is to provide for your family and your goal is, yeah, the security of your family, you have to just, you have to keep going because it's not going to be easy.
1: Yeah. You got to trust your struggle, man. There's a lot of things you can't control. The only thing you could do so wake up with a smile, do your best, and watch
2: the movie. Absolutely. The only thing you control is how you react to it.
1: Exactly, exactly. exactly. Love it, man. Well, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. How can the people get in touch with you and if they want to you know, follow your trajectory?
2: I'm out there on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Zach Otero. It's Z-A-C-O-T-E-R-O. I'm the only one. But uh, go ahead and uh, hit me on Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn if you prefer the more professional, more professional network.
1: Yeah, he's very responsive. I followed him early this morning at like 5 a.m. He responded right away.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's the hustle.
1: It's the hustle. All right, man. Well, we look forward to seeing you in the future. And um, let us know if you need anything else from us.
2: Outstanding. Thanks for having me. Please. Thanks.
0: Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review also if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the breaking into startups community on facebook remember if they don't want you in through the front door go through the back door around it under it or through it let's break in